Welcome to Ronin Geek Official Podcast, where we break down the hottest franchises in gaming, movies, and TV, analyze the essence of each, and discuss their strengths and weaknesses. The question we're looking to answer, do these franchises stay true to their roots? That's what this is all about. So this is Alex Austin with Ronin Geek Official Podcast. With us on the pod today, we have... Witcher, Plubby, and Adam. Ooh, very nice. Very apropos as well, because the topic we are going to break down today is going to be the Witcher Franchise, and we're not going to do an extreme deep dive on every element of it, but we are going to break it down and discuss if the essence, the very essence of the books and the games, all kind of comes together in the end. And, yeah, because a franchise is a built up of a, a amalgamation of all these different TV games, and obviously they each, they're each their own little uh, caveat, and they have their own uniqueness. But do they, as a whole, add up to a clear, concise franchise? Oh, that absolutely, adds correct, absolutely. And 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 depending on who you are, the kind of person you are, and what you like to consume in terms of media, maybe one thing or the other actually brought you into The Witcher. Yes. So and then maybe then you see all the other things. So we're going to discuss all that, which is pretty exciting. And uh, and I can say honestly, this is on the heels of Blood Origin, yeah. so which released recently on Netflix. So uh, it kind of was one of those inspiring things. Like it, the Blood Origin was so not Witcher. Yeah. It's like it, it started to ask the question of what the hell is Witcher? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then like I gotta answer this question. That's a, that's actually a, a very logical progression of events because yeah, Blood Origin came out. For those who've actually seen uh, seasons one and two of The Witcher, the the show, right on Netflix, yeah. you might have a very different perception of how the show is versus how Blood Origin actually turned out. Uh, I would even I would even go as far as to say, you know, the, the first season, you know, of The Witcher working almost more like an anthology. The second season definitely being a little bit more of a straight through kind of slow burn storyline, and then and then Blood Origin, which is. Yeah, I don't even know, man. I don't even know. But it was there was some good times. There was some bad times. It was a show. Yeah, yeah it was a show on a on a on a streaming service. <laughs> so that, that much we can. We'll say talk about sure. it a bit later. I'm guessing. So now, because of uh, because of our background being heavy into gaming and being heavy into everything that comes along with that, I would say that my frame of reference for The Witcher is definitely going to be stronger on the gaming side of things. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think the gaming and the shows are usually what we're known for. Yes. So that's a lot of where we get a lot of our focus, but we obviously know about books. We that's right. We pay attention to them. A lot of our friends read them uh, and interact with it. And those are oftentimes the core and it's important to the st to what we're talking about. So what we should kick this off with is The Witcher is a fantasy, I guess it would be a high fantasy series. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's high fantasy and uh, it actually comes uh, from, from the far off land, unless you're there, uh, of Poland. So this was a <laughs> Polish uh, author named Andrzej Sapkowski. So he's now written, I don't know how many of these books, nine of them. Nine. There are nine of them. And uh, actually one of them's, uh, several of them are short story collections. One's a standalone novel. And then the actual, it says The Witcher Saga is effectively five books, it looks like. So, yes. Uh, starting uh, release as far back as 1994 and then going all the way up to 19. Well, I think we got 1990 there for the original, but it was in Polish specifically. Oh, that, that was the short story collection. Yeah, so yeah. That's probably where he was kind of piloting the ideas that would ultimately make it in. But so. the thing is, is if we're going to talk about these, I think those are the most important ones. Those, yeah. those three short stories, The Witcher, Sword of Destiny, and The Last Wish yep. were as far as I can tell, the core and the essence of what Witcher is. Like, they, they built Witcher. Yeah, in fact, uh, The Last Wish, is that the storyline that has to do with the with the djinn? Yes. Okay, interesting. So that was actually in the show and in the games. So yes. It's, uh, it's interesting to see these threads kind of start to weave through there. So that, that'll come back into play in a little bit, actually, in the course of this conversation. So, but being that we are a little bit stronger on the games, I guess I'll go ahead and just start talking a little bit about those. Um, we've mentioned Witcher before. We never have really taken the time, though, to kind of break it down to its its base elements, the bones, the see it doesn't have good bones. Is, Boil is it down to the broth. Well, 
the bony the bony witcher broth <laughs> that we're going to be sipping from today and I, I just i can't wait for it it's gonna be absolutely delicious so the game series that was a takeoff of this uh obviously from cd project red uh you can't really talk about the witcher without mentioning them uh, as far no. as the games are concerned they i mean it, it was i'm sure the book series was popular enough when they went into it, you know what I mean? But but it's almost synonymous with the games now. So if we're getting to it, we, we have to kind of define what is the Witcher series that we can... I, I guess we can kind of define it while we talk about the games and the books and the movies, like the most prevalent ones right. that kind of defined it. it the books were not... I, I say they were famous, but they weren't that big outside of Polish. Because if you look at all the, the first creators, the first was the Hexer, the TV show was a polish tv show right and then the first games was witcher one effectively from cd project red mm-hmm. which was a polish company yes so its fame didn't escape poland as far as i can tell yeah yeah that's inter- that's an interesting way to look at it too because yeah you're right so cd project red being uh being a polish company as well a development house there uh very interesting they kind of kept it all Within within the borders <laughs> of Poland to kind of kick it off, and and that's actually really cool though because I, I think there's a lot of the sort of medieval and sort of high fantasy elements that kind of come from lore uh, from that part of the world. Yeah. Right? So it's cool to kind of see that those threads continue on uh, throughout throughout the uh, establishment of the franchise. So it, it is it is high fantasy. The Witcher uh, is a cool character in, ter- in terms of fantasy. I really like the Witcher as a character. Uh, very very uh, to me in particular, and obviously to a lot of people, very compelling as a character. And I love the idea that he's not quite a sorcerer not quite like a wizard you know in fact that's kind of like <laughs> the weaker shit that he does you know what i mean that he's he's also not quite you know like uh like a um conan the barbarian yeah, like, fighter. Like, yeah 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 like a full-on barbarian he's he's a little bit more of a soldier of fortune you know what yeah. i mean he's he's a little bit he's a little bit more you know uh, uh, uh of somebody who's just gonna you know almost like a like a cane from legend of kung fu or like uh <laughs> Uh, like a quantum leap situation where he's just going from place to place. You know what I mean? And kind of just living out that adventure. I think that comes from, if you have the original writings, especially early on, Geralt doesn't have much personality. Correct. He definitely fits that um, teenage adolescent male um, blank slate storytelling. Yeah. Where you're supposed to kind of inject yourself into, they show that he's a cool, badass character, yeah, yeah. but he is close to, to empty, to I flat. I wonder if, like, Sapkowski, when he started writing this, if he thought that he might make a good game character someday, because he, he is <laughs> he is a fairly blank slate in that regard, and, and then there's a story reason why. Yes. So, it, why the, the Witchers are like that, because they're, they're, they're effectively, I don't know if you'd call it, like, chemically castrated or something like <laughs> yeah. that. But, well, they are chemically castrated. But, but yeah, <laughs> they're, they're effectively, like, because of the process, the, the, the grueling, brooding process of actually becoming a Witcher that kills seven out out of 10 young witchers right like it's uh that that process robs them of their of their emotion so i've heard different things and if you read the books and play the games there's a count contradiction between those some say that they do the general public lore is an agreement that they do but if you watch a lot of the witchers and read them they do have personality especially other people other than Geralt. well and through the choices you make in the games too that starts to come out like are you a good witcher bad witcher like do you want to save people like and there's moments even in i'm replaying witcher 3 right now following what, the watching of blood origin yeah. and uh and, and there's you need a, cla- a palate cleanser yeah well yeah and, and there's even moments 
in that where like, you know, he's sort of, you know, go, going down on one knee and leveling with like a child in conversation. You know what I mean? And then there's even dialogue options to protect the child from the reality of their situation as well. So it's just as, as a parent, I tend to choose those options because, <laughs> I, you know, I don't want to acknowledge to this digital child in this game that like, yeah, your parents are dead. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Another witcher killed him. My man. Like, so, but it, it's just really, really interesting because, uh, you know, it, you can, it's as a blank slate, you can kind of take it however you want. But, but th there definitely is some emotional moments that are coming out oh, yeah. replaying the game and sort of witnessing that again. Yeah. And I think that's one of the interesting things about the universe in general. If we're talking about kind of what makes the, the witcher universe, the witcher yeah, universe yeah. is a portion of it is that ambiguity mm. is they're really good at building. Well, no one quite knows. Everyone thinks witchers are one way. Yeah. And even we as readers and watchers and players kind of think of witchers in one way, but is it always yeah. the truth? There's some vagueness there that creates a gray area. Yeah. Which I think is important to the Witcher universe that no one quite knows all the answers. Well, it, until Blood Origin comes out and establishes that, no, actually, they're all just like berserkers, like just waiting <laughs> to come out. <laughs> so, so then it just throws everything into into a tailspin, right? And then uh, the, the other side of the Witcher that's really interesting in terms of the characters in the story are the focus of the stories on uh, sorceresses. Yeah. That, that exist within this universe. And, and they're, they're all big players in terms of the story as well. And there's many of them. That's the cool thing. There's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, players, you know, good and bad in the storylines that, you know, you take Fringilla on the, on, on the sort of evil side and then you take Yennefer and Triss on the good side, right? Or, yeah. you know, Yennefer kind of being more, you know, sort of gray area as well, right? <laughs> so it's just, it's, these are amazing characters and, and they're all, they're all, you know, they're all sorcerers. They're all a little, a little bit sexy, a little bit on the sexy side. And, yes, but I love that yeah. aspect of it. Oh, where cool. yeah. I love the aspect that, these people learn magic and they have the opportunity to reshape themselves. Yes. And their immediate response is, I have the power to reshape myself. I'm sorry, but if I had magic that could alter my body, yeah, yeah. of course I'd make myself sexy. So are you kidding me? But there's a cost. There is a cost that comes with it. Yes. And the cost to altering your, your physical form is becoming impotent. Not being able to bear children, basically. Is yeah, what I'll take that sacrifice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, they all did. And, uh, and of course, they live longer lives as a result, right? Yeah. So yeah. Uh, so these are all characters. Now, the main characters you're talking about, they're not immortal, but you are talking about characters who live unnaturally long lives, right? In terms of the witchers, yes. in terms of the sorceresses. And therefore, their stories kind of get interwoven together, not just over a short period of time, but over hundreds and hundreds of years, which I think is probably my favorite part of the way the witcher stories are told. Because you end up circling back around with characters that you haven't seen in some time and you find them maybe a little bit older right a little bit wiser a little yes. bit more world weary the second time around or the third time around when you meet them and i think that's absolutely fascinating so i really appreciate the way sapkowski did the characters yeah to give their kind of an idea in the wild hunt the witcher the, th the third witcher game mm -hmm. which is i think we could both talk about that that's pretty much 90 percent of people got into this Yes. universe because of that. I game. did. I did, yeah. I did yeah. too. Pretty much everyone I know did. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then they went backwards and read the book. Yes. And then forward and watched the <laughs> I show. I went backwards and tried to play Witcher 2 and I'm like, uh-uh. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we'll talk about those yeah, games. Yeah. Uh, there'll definitely be a breakdown here. But the Witcher, Geralt himself, is about 94-ish in Wild Hunt mm -hmm. and Yennefer's about 110. Okay, cool. So, give cool. or take-ish. Yeah, yeah. And that's amazing though because then you're finding these guys, you know, circling back around with one another at various points as well as some of the other, uh, sort of like, does it give an age on Triss, I wonder? Uh, Triss is a little bit younger than Yennefer. Yeah, yeah. And and therefore, the way that the story is told, at least in like 
you know, if, if we call out maybe like the first season of The Witcher was actually a little bit more like an anthology series as a result. Because yes. it's, it's trying to set up a lot of these things that all happen on different timelines. And it didn't really take a lot of liberties with like when and where they happen. It just separated them all, right? So yeah. a little bit different there. The game, you know, the game is a little bit more succinct because you're sort of experiencing all these things in a little bit more of like, I wouldn't say real time. But like a more of like a straight through timeline, right? So, yes. so it takes less liberty with things. Well, they, like that. it's fine with that because when they did the books, it started off as a bunch of short anthology stories, and yep. then they kind of moved on to a more straight through line story right. plot. And that's kind of what they said. By the way, going back, uh, Triss is said to be the youngest of the um, mages and short sorceresses, and she is about fifty. Oh, interesting. So, okay. hey, arguably, Geralt is robbing the cradle on that one. <laughs> <laughs> 50-year-old sorceress, he's robbing the cradle. That's beautiful. That is beautiful. So I was actually just going to call out one episode from uh, season two of the show here. So it, it, in terms of the next point. Now, the way that the stories are told in The Witcher, and I'm guessing this is probably the same in the books as it is in the games as it is uh, in the show, uh, which is um, there's a fair amount of ambiguity in the way the stories are are told it's kind of and i really appreciate this about it, it's kind of left up to the viewer or the player to or, or the reader to make a determination in terms of whether certain actions are justified or not mm. or whether someone is truly on the side of good or evil i think what the witcher does much better as a fantasy series than a lot of other fantasy series are out there is it allows more of its main characters to kind of live in this gray area in terms of the decisions yeah. they make i think that's if you know if we're breaking down this these franchises we're breaking this one down i think ambiguity in right and wrong is a key factor of the witcher yes series absolutely so you can have some episodes where it's obvious yeah like it's hard to do that all the time and it kind of gets a little bit boring and dry yep but one of the key factors must be that that's right that's right the and i was going to call out from uh, season two, episode one, spoiler warning here, Grain of Truth. Uh, re really interesting episode here because they actually end up, um, uh, Gerald visits a village. Villagers have been attacked. He has to understand what's attacked and killed the villagers. It appears to be some sort of, you know, vampire witch, something or another. Anyway, so he ends up finding an old friend of his that is cursed, and he's been cursed to look like, I don't know, it was like a boar. boar. Yeah, like a boar or something. And it, it, it turns out, you know, that, that, this man who's cursed is a result of Gerald's actions from the past, I believe, right? A result of his own actions? It's a result of his own actions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's found some sort of love or some sort of level of consoling from this, what's called a Bruxa, this monster that's been mm -hmm. killing all these people. So there immediately becomes like this push and pull of, okay, well, you know, the, the deed's already been done. These people have already been killed. So now do we let these two essentially monsters live together in love and peace of some sort, some level of this, you know, and they seem to be comfortable with each other. Uh, or it does Gerald do what witchers do and still take on this Brooks and kill it because of its crimes, right? Like it's, it's a really interesting thing and uh, it, it's pretty brutal, right? Because he ends up making decisions that ultimately hurt this person he knows, right? And, yeah. and, and you know, cast out on, you know, his humanity. So very, yeah. very fascinating. And they have a lot of, a lot of this regularly where Geralt, you can clearly see one of the through thorough th like the through fares of how this generally works is Geralt or us as the listener, mm -hmm. the player are given the story plot. We're given one way and we start the story thinking, ah, this guy's the bad guy. It's so obvious. Yep. And then we get a little bit of snippet of information goes, Nope, this guy's the bad guy. And then you kind of yeah, realize, yeah. no, it's somewhere in between in a weird gray area. Sometimes depending on your own personal morality. It's still pretty obvious. Yep. And you go, okay. And then Geralt tries 
desperately to not make a choice. Yeah, yeah. He tries desperately to not get involved. And because he's a witcher, he ends up having to get involved. Right. And he has to make a decision and he hates his decisions every single time. <laughs> and the games, yeah, he does. Absolutely. Yeah. So it, now the games are interesting because, um, you know, you're living these choices in real time, right? Like there was um, a particular mission that also demonstrates this very well. I really liked it in Witcher 3. It's, uh, it's called uh, The Cat and the Wolf. And a spoiler warning here. So this is the mission where you arrive in a town. You have a waypoint on the map. You go to the waypoint. You find a town. And in a town, all the people have been murdered. So everyone's dead. So not, not dissimilar from the story I just told about the show. <laughs> so that's, that's how a lot of Witcher stories start. <laughs> all the humans are dead. <laughs> so, <that's, laughs> so anyway, and then you're trying to, you're using your Witcher senses to kind of find out. It's like Batman searching for clues, right? You're yeah. like trying to find out what exactly happened here, right? The Witcher does this a lot. So you're putting the clues together. And then you're, you're looking at the bodies and, and you're like, oh, Oh, there's uh, sword sword wounds. Oh, this, this, they've been stabbed, right? And the then, wind howls. Yeah, yeah. He's like, <laughs> the wind howls. Fuck. <laughs> he's hilarious. And um, you end up finding out that, that they've been murdered, essentially, by someone. So then you go off and you're trying to track down who did it. Uh, and some of the details here are really minute. Like, for instance, following the footsteps of this individual is difficult because this individual steps very lightly. Turns out that that's, this particular individual is another witcher, but from the school of the cat. Mm. which are largely take almost like the ninja witcher school, right? And they're usually uh, bred assassins coming out of that witcher school uh, versus soldiers of fortune, like uh, like where Gerald comes from, for the school of the wolf. So and then you have a, you, you have this opportunity then to sit down with this individual who's been injured in, in the course of their, in the course of their murder of literally everyone in the town and then sit down with them to understand like what the hell happened. And it, I mean, it turns out in the, in the cause of this story. So the, this guy from the school of the cat, he was attacked first after he killed a monster for them on agreement he was stiffed on the payment, and when he demanded the money, somebody stabbed him from behind with a pitchfork. Somebody from the town. So they effectively intended to kill him at the end of it, right? Huh. So, but then he turns around and wipes out the entire town. Because they just kept coming after him. Right. So now, what is the moral decision here? Does he live or does he die? Right? And yeah. that, that moral quandary is just... It's He's so, so powerful, he, be, he can beat this village easily. Yes. Should he have walked away? Correct. Is Correct. he is he wrong to have stuck around? Should he, does he deserve death? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Or could he just killed the one guy that stabbed him? You know what I mean? And walk away. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but but this is the idea with the Witcher, and this is where the essence of the Witcher really lives is in these moments of forcing you as as the reader, as the viewer, as the player to make that decision for yourself in Gerald's place. And it's sometimes it's. Yeah. Pretty brutal. And I think the reason why, especially Witcher 3, I mean, we could talk about, uh, we'll kind of go backwards because we'll talk about Witcher 3. I think the reason why the game was so important is because the game forces you to be in Geralt's shoes yep. and make these decisions. Mm -hmm. The show ultimately makes the decision for you. Yep. And so do the books. True. You're just True. walking through and the character is making the decision. You're just living with whatever decision he yeah, makes. Yeah. But in the game, you have to make the decision. So those decisions, those gray areas feel more inherent feel more you and your visceral, for sure. more visceral yeah, you yeah. feel it some of them and i think that's what makes it so important i think witcher one if we're going to kind of roll back because we talked about the books and what the, you know the origin of what they come from and what makes them so important i think witcher one had a lot of good story yeah um and a lot of these vague answers but your answers didn't really matter it was it was a little it was more open world yeah um so you had these like vague decisions you could make but the combat and the mechanics of the game itself held it back that's right it was very hard to play. Um, they tried to do that sort of that whole um, dance mechanic that they kind of had in Witcher Three, which yep. is sort of that. I guess we call it that Batman because Batman Arkham kind of made it famous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
But d- dodge strike, dodge strike, yeah, counter, yeah, yeah counter, yeah. and and split up your enemies so you're yep. not being surrounded and stuff like that. And they tried to do that, but it was too early; they couldn't handle it. It was actually made off the Neverwinter Knights engine. Okay, yeah, yeah, that would not have been amenable to it. <laughs> no, they, apparently they got that license for that that engine, and they ended up redoing eighty percent of the code. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I can like, see that. I can see that. But you have to do what you have to do. Yep. So like that game had those essences of that gray area questions and those yep. questions, but the mechanics held it back. If you look at the reviews from when it came out in what, 2007, I think. Yeah. Um, it was highly regarded as, wow, this is a great story. We, we like it. We can't give it a really high rating because it's hard to play. That's right. And then the Witcher. So, okay. I think that's a good first step considering yeah. it wasn't that famous and it was CD project red. And then Witcher two came out and it was more linear. Yep. And the combat got a little bit better. Yeah. But their story, they didn't really grow the story very well. Like right. They struggled on the story. It was very linear. But their mechanics got a lot better. And then Witcher 3 kind of merged the two. Yeah. And brought out one, a very open world, visceral, you know, role play. Yep. With really good mechanics. Yeah, yeah. So it was almost like you could see the evolution of each game. And I can see why they didn't get famous until 3. Weirdly, they hit their stride with Witcher 3. And then that game initially came out in 2013, I believe. and then the, 2015. 2015. And then the sort of, I don't know, Game of the Year edition or whatever is being sold now probably came out a year after that. Yeah, a year so, two. And then uh, with, with all of its expansions. And that the game is incredible, first off. Like, I, I just, I can't, I, I don't have high enough praise I could actually give it. Like, I think it's it's one of the best games I've ever played. I'm playing it for the second time right oh, now. Yeah. And I'm playing it on the fucking Switch and it's amazing. <laughs> so I played So you're it, not playing the new uh, re-released... Uh, uh, enhanced edition? No, 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 no. I played it initially on PS4, so I've already seen it with the good graphics and everything. And no, they, they've upgraded even more now oh, to like PS5. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, but the game on PS5 would be gorgeous. Like it's uh, it's a really beautiful setting. Like there's yeah. some really dank, dark areas. But then they changed really a lot. Areas. They actually changed a lot. I was watching a comparison between the two. Yeah, because I've played the original, but it was X number of years ago, yeah, yeah. and I, I've got the enhanced edition because you get it for free yeah, if yeah. you already had it. And I played it, and I didn't really, I'm like, oh, what's the difference? And I went back, and I, I couldn't really tell the difference between the two. And I watched a side-to-side comparison. Yeah. And it's drastic. Visually, there's difference between random deer coming and, like, seeing you in the path and yeah. running away. And birds flying in the air nice. randomly. The trees are way, the, the, the grass is more dense. It's a very lush place. Yeah. Velen and Novigrad, where the majority of the, and Skellige, where the majority of the game takes place. These are all very lush places. Like, they yeah. look good. They're, they're very sort of sort of fantastical, but also medieval in nature. Oh, yeah. uh, in fact, uh, in Winter 3, the main city that, that you, you could sort of visit for much of the game is Novigrad. And uh, Novigrad is, I, I think it's, I can't think of a medieval city other than maybe the expansion that takes you to, um, what is the one expansion that takes you to the place that's like France? Oh, that's uh, Blood and Wine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's really impressive too. But as a medieval city, Novigrad, I think, might be the most impressive medieval city in a game right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It like is. It, it's unbelievable. It's huge. It's got everything. It's got the it's got the docks and the ports and the boats and the hills and the temples and the markets and the, and there's multiple. <laughs> there's like multiple markets in the city because it's just that big. You know, yeah. what I mean? it's just it's and it's it's got everything. It's got like a little area where like you know st- live stage plays are happening and and c- certain stories touch on that portion of it and then it's got an area where they're like burning people at the stake and certain parts of the story touches on that too. And then like there's a currency exchange because you end up getting currency, uh, you know, that's from the invading force called Nilfgaard and you need to exchange it to crowns for actual currency you can spend in the game. Like it's just, it's just, it's just so rich and so full, like, and just so fully realized as as a game environment. One thing I've got to add. So we are talking about how this, you know, these stories of, 
um, what makes the Witcher franchise the Witcher franchise? What, yes. what distinguishes it from all the other franchises? Uh, what, what we love about it uniquely. So given that the books kind of had this, they had that gray morality, they had these random stories that had not straight answers, right? Kind of like the Yennefer, like are Yennefer and Geralt in love because of the wish mm. or not? Mm. I don't know. We don't know. And it never really gets answered even at the end of when they answer that question later, when they get the curse removed ish, from them. Ish. Yeah. yeah depends. Yeah. Depends on how you it, took it's, it. It's, yeah. I, I took it as they're almost arriving back at the beginning of that love. And we have to, we have yet to find out. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So like, okay, they have all this. Now that comes from the books. Like right. that's obviously it got ramped up a notch yep. in the game because now you're the one making the decision. That's right. But is there anything else from the games? Uh, obviously, which are one, two and three. We can talk about mechanics. We talked about that. Yeah, yeah. One and two, I don't think brought much to the show. Like, what defined Witcher? Is there anything from the games that you would think improved the Witcher franchise that we have to now take into as canon of what is what, what defines Witcher? Yeah, yeah, very, very much. Uh, uh, having sex on a on a stuffed unicorn, so very <laughs> sexy or not so sexy turns out very sexy. Yeah, so it's, yeah. <laughs> that's absolutely where my mind went. <laughs> so, so your question though is, uh, did, did the games elevate that? Yeah. Well, did the games? Do you think added something to the franchise? Like you have the books that created the core, the start, yeah, yeah. and then do you think the games added to that franchise that said, hey, this is what we also think a Witcher yeah, should be? You know, I haven't read any of the books, so I can't really pass a judgment on those. If I would feel as strongly about reading a book as I do about playing the game, I can tell you in the past, having read a lot of fantasy books in the past, probably not. Like, I feel like making the decision in the game is what I would prefer as someone consuming the media mm -hmm. because I, I really do want to feel the visceral sort of uh, uh, consequence of yeah. the action. And sometimes there's an unintended consequence that it really fucks you up. You know what I mean? Like, either... either you know, nets you very little experience because you chose the wrong thing or somebody dies you didn't expect to die or you end up finding there was a different, you know, sort of moral, you know, uh, uh, extreme that you didn't see and mm -hmm. uh, and therefore you, you you did the wrong thing. So, and then you have to sort of continue on in the game as a consequence of that action. So, so as a franchise, Witcher 3, you, we think kind of stayed true to the books and that ideology and what it was. Yeah. But what it enhanced to the franchise. Well, it, it enhanced the core features of the franchise. It didn't add to it. Yeah, yeah. It enhanced it by making you the one to make the well, decision. Well, yeah, it took, it took the flawed character of Geralt and the sorceresses and kind of made you them. Yeah. So these flawed characters. Right? And it made so, it more visceral because it, it, right. it, it, it extended it and improved it, but not added to That's it right. per se. That's right. Because I'm a human person, human person, man, Making decisions for this game, sometimes it does get messy because I make bad decisions sometimes. Yeah, that so that, that's just life. Okay. That's just life. So we, we got that. Um, the so When it comes down to the game, well, I, okay, we, if we're going to kind of talk about this game, because I think for the most part, 90%, I'd argue, the core audience of Witcher are people like us. Yep. Our age. I get the feeling like in the books, the original core audience were younger. So what I mean by that in a little bit more horny. <laughs> oh, baby, they get a little bit horny with these sorceresses. Well, there are entire chapters or sections devoted to basically having sex and raping Siri. And she's like a really young girl child. And she's oh, also shit. a lesbian. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, she's also a lesbian in the series. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm not hungry to read that. So <laughs> No, but that's the problem is I, I kind of like... Andrew, I Andrew Spikowski, I kind of feel like 
I feel like The Witcher got took the best out of the the, the games. I should say, yeah, the games took the best out of it and kind of let go. I would say series the, story definitely seems to me in the books and TV show to be a little bit more of a story of empowerment and like sort of learning and growing. You yeah. know what I mean? Which is kind <laughs> of what so, less so about rape. It, so which is what the, it. it is. But the yeah. problem is, is involving that was. She needed help from people. She got raped a few times. She yeah, got yeah. depowered and then repowered. Oh, okay. Gotcha, gotcha. But the problem is, is it's still not okay, yeah, considering yeah. how young she was well, during they this. Do, they kind of do that a little bit with, with Yennefer here and there, or Triss here and there. Not not to that extreme, I think, no. in the show. But yeah, they, there definitely is moments where like Yennefer is kind of like, well, I mean, literally and figuratively kind of lost her powers and has to get them back. You know what I mean? So yeah. I think they do play with those themes in the games anyway, but maybe without going into some distasteful topics is, is you know, is yeah. that. So I just think that's... Book, in a book, sure. I, I think that's the format for something like that in, in a TV show or movie. Yeah, I, I, I don't need to see it. I'm good. Yeah, I, I just think that the original book didn't need it. And I think it's a bit older, right? 1990. Yeah, yeah. And I think it was a bit more acceptable or something. But I, I felt it more like uh, it was written a bit more fan fiction-y. Well, I think, I think books are, as a media, people are generally more accepting of what makes it into a book. Because it's it's traditionally that sort of trying ground for different ideas, even controversial oh, yeah. ones. Take like, um, you know, I'm thinking like, uh, what's what's a, like Stephen King, like uh, It, for example. Oh, like, yeah. You know, sort of its take on, on youths under the age of 18 yeah. and what they're doing with each other. You know, like this, you know, so there's a lot of, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of details that are maybe not, not kosher details, so to speak. Yes. You know what I mean? But, but they're there anyway. But I think the book is the format for that kind of stuff. Well, and that's I, why I, most of TV shows and games that we watch now are based on books. Cause yeah. books are a cheap way to test out a franchise or an idea, yeah. an ideology, I guess you could and say. And you, you walk into situations, even in the game in Witcher three, where like, you know, you walk into a situation where, where maybe somebody, you know, had been raped or maybe somebody had been attacked or maybe the wrong, you know, an innocent person had been killed. So you do walk into situations, right? It's yeah. just not, it's not like uh, really in your face, so to speak. Yeah. So. I just think what the problem with the books is they were written almost fan fictiony with Siri. Like maybe almost be like, oh yes, she fucked this guy, and you're like, oh god, like you're, like you're you're supposed to be horny by it and enjoy it, like a like you know, like a woman. There should be like, like a, a female skip, sex novel. Skip to this page if you don't. Wanna. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> you're reading, you're like, this is just awkward. This is wrong, especially once you realize how young the character is in it, and you're like, yeah, yeah. oh god, no, oh yeah, this yeah. is terrible. Now that we should say that, so up until uh, Witcher three, uh, Siri is absolutely just a child a child and yeah. even in much of witcher 3 you see her as a child you know what i mean yes. and then and then uh, and then her journey to get back to uh so i think that's witcher. one thing that the games improved upon also in totally. the series was totally. they took what was kind of fan fictiony and, and a, a, a an unclean rough-edged book that had its problems and kind of cleaned it up and went we're gonna take just the best bits <laughs> yeah now in terms of where these two things sort of collide as well you know i remember watching the the season one of the show for the first time and uh at the point well wait did they introduce no i don't think they did they introduce care morn in season one of you never Witcher? went there they talked about it they but talked you never about went it. there in season two you go there and it's basically the exact layout of the witcher three wild hunt the game it is really the exact layout i swear to god go and look it up and it is the exact i was i remember watching it thinking like oh i know that place i know that place and then the inside of the the keep is a little bit different the they added some rooms they never showed yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. that's a little bit different but like in terms of like the the lead up and the bridge and the oh the outside and, you're yeah, saying it's so it's it's the exact thing from the game they lifted it directly out of the game so it just goes to show that they are being fairly sensitive to the fact that like oh this is kind of a, a wink and a nod to all of the all the gamers who are probably watching the show because they're a core audience well that's like Henry Cavill got into it because of the game. We oh, know totally, that. Totally. Um, and obviously he was a big proponent of it. Um, I think 
really the show makes the right choice when they're catering to the people who came into from the game. Yeah. Cause that's most people. And if you can lead someone from the show to the game, it'll lead you back to the show. Yeah. And vice versa. Those two, I think are the best of Witcher, mm-hmm. um, the TV show, the Henry Cavill. Yeah. Um, and Witcher three, I think if those two can feed upon each other, you can really create something great. And, and I'm very interested to see because they've already shown the fall of Sintra next. They'll have to show the fall of Tamaria. Mm-hmm. And I'm really interested to see if they're going to end up doing like, almost like a Witcher three thing where they end up in season three in and out of like Novigrad, for instance. I, th- I think it's going to be really interesting to see that, that, that city to see if they take it as true to life to the game, to the show as they did with like care Morin as an example. Yeah. So I bet they will. It, it'll be, I don't think, I don't think they will, especially given the whole drama around the Witcher nowadays. Yeah. Um, I, I obviously there's a huge the thing is it's hard to tell because on one hand everyone thinks well now that Cavill went they're gonna abandon a lot of the stuff and especially with Blood Origins they've proven that they're willing to and I uh, think with the backlash yeah. of those two that might make them think twice and double down and going backwards Blood Origin is such a great example though of like Netflix at its most Netflixy you know what I mean it's, <laughs> it's kind of it takes it takes a property that it has rights to and they take such they take like if like taking a liberty could be like on a spectrum, this would be like the most extreme right, you know, turn of a liberty they could. I don't know. That sounds more like thing. Mario movie as the furthest liberty. Oh, Mario's Mario's fucked. Yeah, I don't even. I don't even <laughs> whatever's happening with that. No, but it's like so they. Take, no, I mean the old Mario movie. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's well, the most liberal you can take. A, a I thought you were talking about Chris Pratt and then like. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know about that. But I, I know, I know of it, but. But yeah, it's just uh, Blood Origin did not, I mean, it in no way embodies what The Witcher has been up to this point. I mean, this is an example of just such an extreme departure in the series. And and, and I almost wonder if they thought that like, they were pitching that to us to be like, are they gonna are they gonna like it? Are they gonna want more kind of thing? Like, so they're trying to figure out what else they can do with The Witcher, you know? And then this was essentially the origin story of what's called the Trial of Grasses. Yeah. And the first person to become, uh, I guess you could call it a Witcher, it's more like kind a proto or proto witcher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe, or maybe it was just because this was an elf turning into a witcher. Why they went full berserker mode? I don't know. True, but then it turns out, you know, spoiler alert here for something you're probably never going to watch. But spoiler, spoiler, woo woo. So it, it turns out this is all leading up to the events that actually combine the spheres that actually unite, you know, humans and elves and monsters and everything onto the same something plane of existence that is never really answered before. Like they don't. They, the conjunction of the spheres was just something that happened. Yeah. As far as I can tell in the lore that I'm aware of. Yeah. Now they went, no, no, elves did it. <laughs> yeah, 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 because they were trifling around with all of their interdimensional travel and their berserker, witcher, elf people. I think this fundamentally, so if we're, we've kind of, it sounds like we've kind of fundamentally broken up what witcher is. Yeah. Uh, which is gray area decision-making. Yep. And high fantasy. Yep. Magical sorcerer, sorceresses and mages and, yep. and classical medieval environment. Yeah. With, you know, this witcher who has to travel through people of something that's happened. Soldier of fortune. Soldier of fortune. Yeah. His job is to show up and, or the whole point is something's happened. We're figuring it out. That's right. We're a combination of Batman who has to make shitty decisions. Yes. And, no, and those decisions are... Kill things, bang hot sorceresses, and uh, save, I don't know, kids. I don't know. <laughs> but it's also, I think there's also a story there, which is a lot of parentage. Oh, totally. It's a lot of huge stories about parentage. But still, it's gray. It's not about... We missed that, but yes, correct. Yeah, huge uh, sort of uh, parent vibes going on with, with Gerald and his 
semi-adopted daughter, Siri. Yeah. So very much so. And, and, and even with like his his uh, Vesemir and him. And oh, totally. The brothers, the other witches who are air quote cool, yeah, the brothers. Basically brothers, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we, we kind of missed on that. But yeah, there is some serious family elements to it and as well. I, I think that's also a factor here because they talk about that a lot. And there's a lot of ownership of who do you, you know, who do you owe something to? Oh, friendships. And season two of the show actually delves quite deep into that, actually. So very cool. Yeah, because uh, they talk about Yennefer's well, Vesemir, motherhood. Vesemir's too. in it too. Yeah, and they talk about uh, Yennefer's motherhood and stuff yep. like that. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so it definitely touches on those things. So they, they have deep, you know, intrinsic story applying. So we know that. So it's a deep story with gray area where the answer isn't white or black. Yeah. That's one of the core features of the storytelling and the writing. And then mechanically, it's obviously classic fantasy. Yeah. I think that's pretty obvious. That's pretty simple. Yeah. So you have to ask those two is which ones did Blood Origin fail at? I think it hit the f- high fantasy. It hit high fantasy. There's really, high fantasy shit. Really high. Yep. I think the highest of fantasy. The actually. highest of fantasy. So high. <laughs> um, I think their problem there was they didn't do the gray area. They That's did not. what they failed at. They did not. Um, obviously, they had bad story writing in the sense of Deus Ex. Like they broke many rules. Deus Ex Machina. The, they had a lot of these. No, moments. they they tried to do the gray area. Because they were they were they were saying like oh are the alliances going to hold because they're actually these are elves from different tribes and they have kind of different you know different ends to what they want to achieve and then and then it turns out that no they were all kind of fucked over by the same elf tribe and now they got to go <laughs> kill the high elf of that elf tribe anyway it, it, I think they 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 sort of scraped it but wow. then like, but then ran away from it screaming. that is the worst version of a gray area statement it's but I think that's all they tried to do because honestly or maybe like the final when like you know uh, main witcher sexy guy you know whatever he you know he goes full berserker mode and then they're like oh do we do we, do we try to him save down? him or do we fucking take him down and put him down like a dog yeah yeah they put him down like a dog and then he immediately turns back into regular <laughs> regular sexy guy I, yeah i think you're right i think that the problem is that, yeah they 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 if they tried to the gray area i didn't notice it yeah. it felt very the empress and her you know and the mage guy who are yeah. fighting between each other yeah, yeah. are clearly the bad people yeah yeah and everyone else are the good people and the rest was just all fast and loose yeah. It was just all fast and loose, baby. So it just seemed like they missed out on that aspect and it felt more like they were making a D&D adventure than a Witcher adventure. But what if what if we could get Michelle Yo? What if we could get Michelle Yo? She knows what she's doing. She can do karate shit like we got her. We and we can, can only this. afford about 10 minutes of screen time in total out of four <laughs> multi-hour long. We'll just we'll just put her to sleep for an episode. She'll be asleep. She'll be like on on the mend. So yeah. like we're not gonna have to worry about it. Don't even yeah, worry real about cheap. It. We can absolutely afford Michelle Yeoh. So, <laughs> <laughs> but, but that's this Listen, show. Michelle Yeoh is a very badass character. So what we can do, we can racially profile her into being just the martial artist character. Yes, because there's vaguely Asian elves that also do kung fu. Sorry, I just, just a heads up. <laughs> I just imagine the director Michelle Yeoh is like, okay, so you know what? What's my character's personality? Uh, Dancing with Dragons or what's that uh, uh, hidden, t- Crouching Tiger Hidden yeah, Dragon Crouching Tiger what yeah yeah just do more of that you're like the Crouching Tiger and the Hidden Dragon all <laughs> in one all in one but you're also an elf what do you think so and I'm sure she was 100% on board with it once she saw the paycheck yeah, yeah so, right. <laughs> that put her immediately into the driver's seat of that negotiation <laughs> she probably didn't get paid a lot for so everything everywhere so we're gonna pay you 500,000 you mean 2,500,000 yes all yours <laughs> yeah. we're gonna put you in all the marketing so that everyone thinks you're an 
every episode. Oh, yeah, yeah. Earlier in 10 They're going to think you're a main character. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then you are, in fact, not a main character. You're not even, like, one of the toughest ones. You're not even one of the toughest ones, man. So that's the thing. So they completely nerfed her then by the end of it. Yeah, I think they just, uh, I, I think, you know, obviously we talk about the greatness of Witcher 3, the mediocreness of Witcher 1 and 2. Yeah. Um, and I think... I consider the first, a lot of people shit on the first season of The Witcher Show. Oh, I love the first season I loved of The Witcher it. Show, yeah. Um, it's, it's an anthology series, so as long as you're fine with anthologies and then things kind of tying up together at the very end, then it could be it could be your thing. I, I fully enjoyed it, though. Yeah, I think the confusion to a lot of people was because it was based on the anthology style of the first books. Yeah. A lot of people didn't know that because they only came to it from Witcher 3, and they were thrown off. And then you have people who are even newer, right? People who hadn't even touched Witcher 3. And I think it threw a lot of people off. They were playing this, oh, what's the timeline game? And they didn't realize that people are too dumb for that. So I was looking for the episode, uh, the wedding episode. That's of mean. Season 1. Uh, of Banquets and Bastards and Barrels. Okay, yeah, yeah. This, um, this in particular really speaks to the quality of the first season. So like, if anybody wants to be sold on The Witcher and kind of what it's about, maybe you haven't seen it, played the game, done anything, and you don't want to watch the whole show, just go watch season one, episode four. You really don't even need anything going into it because it's a self-contained <laughs> story. Because again, anthology series here. But I thought that this had so many of the elements all in one episode of what The Witcher is about. Yeah, It had it had uh, the low fantasy. It had the high fantasy. It had the, the decision-making. It had Gerald making a stupid fucking mistake because he's an idiot <laughs> like it just it had everything in it like it was just it was so good along and his with, complete along with the disregard of trying to be involved but that disregard gets him involved exactly <laughs> oh exactly. whatever just give me the surprise bullshit i'll take your celery yeah, yeah, yeah. i'll take the celery you have what at home they call it the right of surprise or something yeah, like yeah. that yeah, yeah yeah anyway it's just it, it's fucking brilliant so and it was all just to avoid his responsibility but ultimately gave him the biggest <laughs> responsibility <laughs> it's gonna make you a dad like that's what it's gonna do so anyway i i just think it's 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 a brilliant fucking hour of television. I'd recommend anybody to go and watch that just to get a sense of what the show is about. And also, that, that again, uh, sort of shows that it's entirety what, what, it, what the series is about as well in that episode. I thought it was very, very good. Yeah. So actually, I like that they show in the synopsis here, they show the years. I like that. Oh, I didn't realize that they did that. Yeah, because it starts later. It starts in 1231, yes. and it goes to 1206, 1210, Yeah, because the first the first episode shows how we got the title of uh, Butcher of Blaviken. Yes, yes, absolutely. And that's a great place to start. Yeah, which is hilarious, because I always thought that was really weird. They always called him the Butcher of Blaviken in Witcher 3 when I was first introduced to him. Yeah, yeah. And I just imagined, like, oh, he murdered an entire town. Yep. And then you find out it's like, oh, no, he killed, like, six or seven guys yeah, in yeah. town. It's like, yeah, yeah. that's... How did he get that title? I've done more murder in the last three days. Dude, I've killed so many towns full of people <laughs> at this point. Like, it's ridiculous, man. How come, how come he got the title for that? That's not fair. But also sets up the, um, or maybe it's the second episode that actually sets up, uh, no, it's the first one that sets up Dandelion. Dandelion? I don't know if he's in the first one. Uh, I swear he is, because isn't that the one where he's like, toss a coin to you, Witcher, no. Valley of Plenty. No, 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 no. Maybe that's like episode three or something like that. Yeah, I don't remember which one it is. It's been a while since we've watched these. Uh, what's that, three years now? Four years? Ooh, sending Frangilla to Milfgard. That's what I call it. Milfgard. That's what I call it now. That's what it should be called. <laughs> oh, my God. Get the fuck out. That's where all the Imperial MILFs come from, bro. Oh, my God. <laughs> They're looking to take over. <laughs> And get stuck in, <laughs> stuck in couches and shit. <laughs> you know what they're doing, man. I've seen it online. So it's uh, that's not what this show is. Well, kind of what this show is about. Yeah, kind of. A little bit. We're, we're a little bit about the mills. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, anyway. We, what, won't, what we won't say no to the mills. <laughs> we will not say no. I mean, you know what? 
But that's the cool thing about this. It's got some for everybody. It does. It's got a lot of good stuff. I, I really liked um, the story of The Last Witch. Wish, wish. Yep. I really liked the conclusion of that in Witcher 3. Like those, that to me was my favorite story, the love story. And I yeah. think there's a lot of that that play out, not just with and about Geralt. Obviously, he's got his drama with you know Yennefer and Triss and so on that's and right. so forth. But I really love those love stories. I think those are core to it. And those parental stories. Um, and they, you know, the love of parenting. When mm. they talk about the Red Baron. Yeah. And his kid. Right. Uh, I think those are all really great stories. Those are core to the series. Yeah. And, and I think they, honestly, they, they encapsulate so much of what we talked about. Like in yeah. terms of, uh, in terms of what this, what this is all about. What the, what the essence of, of the Witcher actually is. Right? Yeah. The, the sauce. Yeah. So anyway, I think, you know, it, it, kind of looking back over the conversation, you know, the one area you know, that, that really departs, I think, from what The Witcher is or should be is definitely, like, uh, Blood Origin. I think it's just, the only one yeah, yeah. that drastically goes away. Obviously, Witcher 1 and 2 mechanically were weak, but story-wise, were pretty pretty fine. Right, they, right. They, they connected to it all. Yeah, and Blood Origin, is it's almost like it's sort of stumbling over itself to be as generic as possible. Yeah, I like, feel like it's, it's more like a D&D movie show than yeah. it is a Witcher show. Yeah. Where D&D is very clearly, there is a good and there is evil. Right. And it's a ragtag. D&D is, like, if you define D&D, it's ragtag, good versus evil. Yeah, yeah. That's what Blood Origin wants. That's not what we've been talking about when it comes down to Witcher. That's right. It is It is, it is not. This is almost like, uh, you're right. It is more of like uh, like band of heroes coming together, like an unlikely band of heroes situation. And, and yeah, the Witcher's, the Witcher has heroes, but they're not an unlikely band. It's it's They're kind of unlikely, but they're not, like, it's not the same. Yeah, Dandelion's unlikely. The rest of them, it's obvious why they're kicking ass and taking names. So <laughs> yeah, much. yeah. You're right. You're, you're exactly right. And also, they don't they don't stick together as a group the whole time. They kind of come right. and go throughout time. That's right. And it tells almost stories like real-life friendship, yep. where sometimes you just don't talk to your friend for a while, and then you come back after a few years. And and, and, and they actually have uh, you know their own kind of ends they're trying to achieve in that period of time, right? Yeah. So it's, uh, it's an interesting thing. So, so I think, the, yeah, the only really break-off point is Blood Origins, which is sad because that's the latest thing that's happened with it. Yeah. Um, so what I guess I got to ask is, do you think, th I think this franchise still has a future ahead of it. Oh, totally. Um, I think we, Netflix either needs to learn from this or give it up. Yeah. I don't know if Netflix is the right choice in this case, but it's, I, not, it's not too late to get Henry Cavill back. That's all I'm going to say. I like, I, I'm not against a Hemsworth brother doing anything. I'm all about the Hemsworth family. I love the Hemsworths. Okay. Everybody does. <laughs> so, but I'm just saying like, look, now that, now these not soups anymore. Now these not Clark Kent anymore. I think there's an opportunity to get Henry Cavill back here as the Witcher and maybe just recast Liam as some other some I other Witcher. Don't another... think he needs to be Witcher. In fact, I'd probably rather him be like a producer where he's making decisions. Sure, I would take that too. And then I'm fine with Liam. I would, I would take that being too. the Witcher as yeah, well. Yeah. But here's the deal: he's now doing. Uh, he supposedly he took on a role for like some producing of 40k. So. That's now that's a turn of events. That's <laughs> a turn of events, and I'm I'm actually more interested to see how that turns out now because I think there's more there. Right? Oh yeah, yeah there's yeah. a lot more there. So I'd be very interested to see where that goes. And then uh, you just want to see you just want to see the the fucking rat people. The Skaven? Yeah, that's all you would have That's not 40K. That's, eh, they'll that's figure Warhammer. it out. The Skaven's too big not to get into it, man. <laughs> Still Warhammer, baby. Space rats. Think about it. Space <laughs> They're rats. They're just rats. <laughs> In space. <laughs> <laughs> so exciting. All right. Well, I guess that does kind of wrap up the conversation then on uh, on the Witcher series. So let us know what you thought of it. We'll kind of do the shout outs at the end of the episode if you want to get a hold of us or find out how to, how to shout at us. Tell us we're right. Tell us we're wrong. Tell us something we missed that was just so obvious. We'll give you the way to do that, but you got to keep listening. Yeah. You got to listen through the next part. Ooh. 
Do we have an intro for the next part? I don't think we do. We got to come up with one eventually. Pow! Pow! So that's playing and or watching. It's a word. It's an acronym. And that's what we're about to do. And it, it will include probably some news bites. In fact, I know of one big news bite that particularly pertains to you, Adam. Well, yeah, considering our last, I think two episodes ago, our last topic was DMing. And like two and it episodes came out just before, before that. that. Yeah, there was another episode on D&D. And yeah. now D&D is in the news Big time. I actually kind of blew up Twitter last week over this. Yeah, it was pretty... Even my social media, which I have very, I'm very yeah. disconnected from social media, the fact that I couldn't get away from it yeah, yeah. everywhere, I'm like, oh my God. So what happened to the open gaming license? And what is the open gaming license? So I, I got to ask, because I'm going to kind of do this where I talk to, hey, listeners, um, you may know about it or you may not, because we kind of talk about games and movies. Yeah. We don't always talk about DMing stuff, so you may be aware. Mm. Alex, how much do you know? This way I know what to talk to you about. So open gaming license is... Basically, kind of, uh, so it's taking the 5e game format from Dungeons and Dragons, is that correct? And it's making it available for people to use to kind of like make the, either their own stories within the D&D universe or like their own game entirely. Because it's a system of play, right? Yeah, so more specifically, what it does is it came out during, I think, 3.0, 3.5, okay. somewhere in that realm. And what it does is it basically says, we legally, the D&D, whoever owned 3.5 at the time, yeah, which yeah. was Watsy actually. Uh, Wizards did, of the Coast. Wizards of the Coast. They put out an OGL, which says, you can use any of our rules. Okay. So that's D20 rules. Yep. Uh, you can use specific words like armor class, um, you know, strength modifier, wisdom modifier. Yep. So like you can use key mechanical rules mm -hmm. and you can take those, put them in your book and republish new adventures in it. Yes. You can't use any of our copyrighted creative materials. So you can effectively monetize your own content based on their rule book. Yes. Yeah, but yeah. only their rules. Yes. Um, so the mechanics and that was their thing. They said that they, they made that available and you can do it completely free. It's just the way they, they, I think at the time they realized that if people could, add to it kind of like the modding community with Skyrim. Oh, totally. The modding community with Skyrim is what made Skyrim make as much money as it made. Yes, correct. So if they neutered that, they would be neutering themselves. And I think that ideology is what they had for D&D 3.5. It was the correct ideology. It, as far as people are concerned, it was the correct ideology. It still appears to be. <laughs> it still appears to be. So that, but when they moved to 4, they shut down the OGL and they wanted to use, um, I forget what it was called, G not GSL, I can't, that's something else. Um, a non-open game license. They wanted to really restrict it. But they didn't go as far legally to say, hey, the original OGL was um, null and void. Okay. In fact, the, the communication in OGL says this is a perpetual license. Yeah. It uses the word perpetual license. And so they, they, in theory, at the time, didn't think they could. Well, the problem is at the time when they changed over, that's when Pathfinder came into mm -hmm. existence. And Pathfinder still uses the OGL. And many other game systems did. Yeah. Uh, third parties that basically didn't want to go in the... 4E direction right. when people didn't want to do that. So Pathfinder, Paizo, exists as a company because of the OGL. Yep. Now that we go into 5E, they did the OGL again for 5E. They yep. op they accepted the OGL for 5E. Now they're doing one D&D. Let's just be, it's 6E, okay? Let's just yeah, call yeah. it 6E. Yeah. Um, they put out a new, it got leaked. So they didn't even put this out. They said, hey, we're changing the OGL. It's still going to be open when they originally said it. Now they've actually given out paperwork to a bunch of companies. Yeah. And one of those companies, it got leaked out from. Oh. The whole document. And basically what the document says is, first of all, if you boil it down, it says a bunch of dumb shit. It went from 900 pages. The OGL was 900 pages. Okay. Okay, that's a long ass document, but still 900 pages. Down to, or up to 9,000 pages. So 10 times larger. 
So what this document, it went through a bunch of stuff. Like, hey, you can't, basically what it says now is if you want to license out 6E stuff, you need to sign our agreement. You win that agreement. We have the power to um, cancel the agreement at any time for whatever reason we choose. All wow. we have to do is give you 30 days, which means let's say you put out a book, you get the agreement for them, you pay them their money or whatever, you sign the license, yeah, yeah. you put out a product, you get their approval, and then you start selling the product and they realize you're making a lot of money on it. But does Paizo currently pay for the license? Or is no. It just, see, that's the thing. Part of OGL. Yeah. So, but let's say you're a third party completely and you go, okay, well, if you're signing this new, what's one of those? So the original agreement OGL is called OGL 1.0A. Yeah. The new one is OGL 1.1. So it's an upgrade to yeah, the original. Yeah. Um, what they're trying to do is um, you take that and basically say, hey, you can't do anything. And if we want, we can cancel at any time. Yeah. And then you can't publish your gear. So you get a book, get it printed out. And then suddenly they decide that oh, you're making too much money or whatever reason they might find, they can just say, nope, you're down with your license. Now you can't print anymore. Shit. So, okay, that's shitty. That sucks. Shit. They can cancel you for whatever damn well reason. The other thing is they get ownership and the ability to license out whatever you, product you create. So they get ownership of whatever you create. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Uh, they're allowed to license it out for free, royalty free and everything. So they get ownership of everything you have, but they can cancel everything you've given them. Interesting. Moment. So if you go and you create a lore in a 6E based game mm -hmm. that becomes very popular, maybe maybe sells 10 million copies or something, right? And then maybe someday a movie studio approaches you, Warner Brothers or whoever is like, hey, this is a great idea. We want to try and turn it into a film property. What do you think about that? So effectively- Or a game. Or a game. So that's the point at which Wizards of the Coast can step back in and be like, oh, but and yeah. then and so they're and they're allowed to do that. Yeah. They're allowed to say we own it and we can cancel your license. Wild. Yeah. That's Wild. according to that. Then it gets even, And canceling your license effectively shuts you down, so then you're done anyway. Yeah. So if you don't Damn. give them the money they asked for, they can be like, well, then you're never allowed to license Damn. this ever again. Wild. Yeah. So then the other one is if you make above, I think it's seventy thousand. You have to pay a certain percentage. You're, if you make above seventy thousand from okay. your product, this okay. is the licensed product, you have to show your earnings. You have to give your earnings to Watsi. You have to present it to them. A little bit intrusive. Yeah, a little bit. If you make, I think, above seven hundred thousand, you have to pay them uh, twenty five percent. I believe. Good lord. Uh, but it's only above your earnings above seven hundred thousand. Yeah. Okay, that doesn't sound so bad for most people because most people won't be at that. But the fact that you have to give your earnings and they can still cancel you at any time. Right. Though you're making too much, we're going to cancel you, take your IP. Now we own it, we're going to roll it into our own stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? They can do that at any point. People don't like Yeah, there that. should be extra protections available once you get to that level. Yeah. Like to make it to, for a trade-off. So the idea there is they're willing to make special agreements with certain publishing or groups of people. Yeah. So if you can come to them and make a unique agreement that isn't covered under this. Right. But that's not what people are pissed off. All of that, by the way, is not what people are pissed off this about. This is just the preamble. This is just the preamble. <laughs> Good to know. What people are pissed off about is in their line, they say OGL 1.0A, which is the original one, the one that everyone likes. Yeah. They're saying it is no longer an authorized version. Oh. Which means in their legal document, what they're saying is anyone who's currently using OGL 1.0A which is a metric fuck ton of people, yeah. cannot, um, are no longer valid to do it. That includes Paizo. Wow. That includes Cobalt Press. That includes people who are doing uh, Let's Plays on YouTube. 
crazy. Right, and creating their own content there. So someone like uh, Dimension 20, yeah. which is uh, Brendan Lee Mulligan, very yeah. famous there. But that's not the or point. Or Critical Role or whoever. That's the one, Critical yeah, Role. That's the one. That shut down Critical Role, unless Critical Role goes and makes a, a private conversation with them. Wow. And signs the new uh, thing and pays them a certain amount because there's no way Critical Role doesn't make more is, than 700000 This is about 000. money. This is about money. Oh, it's 100%. about money. Yeah, well, yeah. a few months prior to the 1.1 leak yeah. and the discussion, there was, because uh, Hasbro owns Watson, mm-hmm. right? They're public and they had a public statement where it was clear the executives and the public statement was D&D is not, is not as monetized as it could be. Wow. So what happens is the CEOs of Watsi, they're mm. legally obligated, as you know, part of the fiduciary agreements of being a CEO yeah. is your job is to make as much money for the shareholders. Sure. That's your only job. Yeah, yeah. So when the executives and the shareholders say D&D is not being as monetized as it should be, you as a CEO, if you don't go after that and chase after this and try and change the legal ability for you to control the money and get more money. Yeah. You're not fulfilling your job duties. That's right. You could be fired. You could be sued. Yeah. So now you've got to do that. So Watsy probably doesn't want to do this. Right. But has to do this because the upper-ups at Hasbro are forcing them to do it. It's crazy. That's crazy. But also, if they don't, Hasbro, if they don't force them to do it, then they give up certain copyright laws in the future. They give up certain abilities in courts to say certain things and if they ever needed to in the future. I mean, it's such a cautionary tale. You know what I mean? There's there's always this big appetite to, you know, sell out to a larger company but still maintain control or a bigger appetite to like, you know, for larger companies to go public as an example, right? Which gives people who are not even related to your business potentially control over the business that you're running and the creativity therefore involved. Like it's it's such a great cautionary tale for that because here you have a company that, you know, shit, it's all built on the back of Wizards of the Coast and and the people who own that and, you know, Gary Gygax and all these guys, right? And then now none of that matters. None of it matters because, you know, Papa Hasbro is like, you know what? The shareholders sitting at this table right here want to make more money this year. They need a better return on their investment. You are legally responsible to get that for us and explore every opportunity. That's fucking wild. Yeah, because Hasbro was down. Their shares were down 40% uh, last year when this all came out. So they they are clearly clamoring for more money and trying to find where they can get more money. Wow. Um, yeah, and it's kind of that, that, it's that weird thing where, you know, you can blame the Hasbro executives, but it's almost, you blame the capitalistic system of the U.S. Oh, no, no, it's definitely, this is definitely. I mean, it's, uh, you blame everyone. You blame the capitalistic system. You blame the execs because they define the capitalistic existence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then downwards, This is right? definitely like a shared, a problem with shared equity in, in publicly traded companies. You know what I mean? Because a lot of times, yeah, you'll end up with like an activist investor or maybe someone who doesn't even know about the thing that they're investing in, who wants to come in and take over because they control a lot of shares, right? Like, yeah. it's just, it's a shame, but this is, this is the way capitalism works right and it's it's uh wow it's a shame if uh you know D kind of almost you know, recently hitting kind of a peak you know what i mean yeah. uh is is uh you know about to take a big hit as a result right it, like that'd be such a shame because like you know pop culture wise it's come such a long way with critical role and stranger things and all these things that have kind of brought it back into the into the spotlight it's a shame it's just yeah. a shame like what what a nasty stupid thing to do timing wise it's just sucks especially when they could easily just create a product that is maybe uh better or better supported or offers uh more in terms of marketing or getting your product out there that Mm -hmm. they could have done to to give you some return on on that investment if you chose to go with one versus uh versus the regular ogl yeah or they could just create a platform like drive through rpg that says hey we'll publish your stuff we'll give you if you publish through this website We'll give you the ability to use certain tokens and certain oh, things. Dude, and if they did that, and we'll dude. take a certain cut if you use our page. And yeah. they market the shit out of that page and make sure people use that oh, as dude, their main. They would have made so much money. Yeah. They would have made so much money. If they owned something like Drive Through RPG, 
they would be much more successful. All they had to do was leave it at that. What a missed opportunity, man. Yeah. What a missed opportunity. And instead, the option that was on the table was to just, like, piss off the base. Come on. Do you not know nerds? Do you not know uh, us at this point? Salty nerds will destroy your entire company. How did they like, not expect this to leak and get out? And... Oh my god! I, I it just I don't even play and I'm fired up, man. <laughs> <laughs> the, the 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 fun thing is is they're not only just pissing off themselves yeah. and like their own D and D people. They're pissing off people that play with Paizo. They're pissing off yes. Critical Role fans. Yes, they're pissing off you know Pathfinder fans. They're pissing off all these. Call of Cthulhu has features of uh, correct. Um, hilariously enough, technically according to their legal writing, they technically own the rights to Star Wars. Oh Jesus! Right, because of their hey, if you make a product with our thing, we own the rights to the intellectual rights to the thing you made with our stuff. Oh okay, yeah. Disney's gonna give Sotor, up that fight easily. Sotor, yeah, yeah, uh, was made using. Uh, the original OGL license, yeah, the yeah. one point, the 1.0A. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, Disney ain't giving shit up like that, bro. They'll sue you into <laughs> Infinity Hasbro. Every, fucking luck. Everyone's joking that they want to see the war no, <laughs> between Hasbro and Disney. Woo. Like They're like, Disney will trounce them. Disney will go <laughs> fucking scorched earth on you, bro. You think that mouse is going to be nice to you, dude? He's yeah. lawyered the fuck up. <laughs> he will destroy you. Lay uh -huh. I will wipe you out for the planet. Of the, I will wipe you from the face of this planet. <laughs> <laughs> Marco, so you into oblivion. <laughs> you will hear the levitation of your women and your lawyers. <laughs> there will be blood. <laughs> no one will remember your name. <laughs> <laughs> this is amazing. This is what this is what would happen. So I would absolutely love this. So honestly, there's going to be a reckoning at some point with this. I'm really curious how quickly. Uh, either they'll capitulate or they're going to try to fight it. And There's only really two paths. One, they capitulate, which they've already pissed off and made everyone go, oh, can we trust these guys ever again? Yeah. So now everyone's getting credibility's already shattered. Their, sh their credibility's shattered. Everyone's going to get off the OGLs They didn't think they about can. that, did they? No. They didn't think about the credibility. And then they'll they have no ownership over yeah, anything, yeah. right? And then... And then there, people there, will go to battle probably in court but, with it. But I hope I hope people see now. There's, there's, there's actual monetary value in how much people trust your brand yeah. as well. Because if you break the trust, you lose the brand and you lose the audience. And then you got fucking nothing. What's, what do you think about that? What's funny is this happened with 4E and people like me who left 3.5 to yeah. get Pathfinder because of what happened. This, yep. this, it was basically more or less the same thing. Wild. Just not as bad. Yeah. I sat there and I've been saying ever since then, Watsi is a money hungry company. Yeah. You need to understand that. They will get you when they want to get you. Yeah. And they're like, oh, 5E's OGL. I'm like, yeah, okay, fair enough. Let's see what 6E comes out with. Turns out I was right. They went back and forth on that roller coaster. You've been the crazy guy in the corner. Yeah. With like Here's the, my the, tinfoil hat going, yeah, yeah. Watsy's crazy. Yeah, yeah. With, with your box and your and your, your wizard staff out there <laughs> shouting from the street corner. The end, the Watsy end is yeah. nigh. <laughs> Beware the 6E. <laughs> it's just funny that like uh, I've seen this and you can tell there's a bunch of veterans that I play with yeah. that are all looking at this going, it's a Tuesday. <laughs> I expected this. Yeah, like yeah. they they know how it's going to go. Yeah. And then there's all these new people that all got into 5e yeah, when yeah. 5e was big, you know, grew it, and they're all losing their goddamn minds. Like it's the end of the world. Well, and you, you know what happens when it starts trending on Twitter too, is you start to attract the attention of people who are just sort of, you know, only a little bit involved like yeah. myself. And I, then, you know, before you know it, you had a lot more people making a comment or, or shooting your shit down than you do actually playing your game. And True. then, and then it just makes you look real bad. Yeah. Statistically speaking, what's going to happen is basically they're going to come out with their new 1.1. Yeah. No, hopefully no one signs it. Yeah. And then the, they're going to have to go to court with all the, all the smaller developers. Yeah. yeah. will have to 
pooled together yeah. to go to court against Hasbro or Watsy. Cool. Hope the next half decade of court fees is worth it for you guys. Hopefully, we'll see. Well, the problem is, is here, here's the shtick is in hopefully at that point, the court will rule in favor of, hey, the OGL can't be revoked. Yeah, yeah. But the question is, is okay, maybe that happens now. D&D's lost all of its faith in everyone. Yeah, yeah. And they've lost a bunch of money. But here's the problem is a lot of these smaller companies don't have the Hasbro money. Mm. So the the goal here, everyone suspects that part of the goal here is that Hasbro is going to go to war in court with these people and basically neuter these people that during it, they won't be able to sell. They'll be afraid to sell their wares. Well, the trouble and is just to, to counter suit, you actually have to take a loss. You have to take you have a to, loss. You have to show it. A lot of these companies can't afford those losses. Right. So I think they're hoping to bear, I think, but people are expecting is that Hasbro is hoping to bury these third-party companies in lawyer fees. I just don't understand the animosity. Like, it's just so crazy. Like, these are your fans. These are the people who are engaging with your content, buying your books, doing all the characters. Do, they, like, they sell a ton of licensed shit. I think like, they're hoping just, crazy. that they're going to do this. They're going to not get away with it. People will be pissed off at yeah. them. In 10 years from now, people will forget. Yeah. Or five years from now, they'll make their money again. People will come back. Yeah. And we'll call it a day. And everyone's so invested in the D&D brand. I just don't get now. it. Because, like, if they went to, like, because here's the, say if they went to the people at Critical Role, whoever the showrunner is or whatever. I and, think that's Travis Willingham as the uh, CEO. And, and, and they went to they went to Travis and they said, okay, like, you've, you've, you've made a lot of money on this. You know what I mean? You guys are very successful. But here's the thing. It's actually our property. So let's come up with some sort of agreement in terms of, you know, profit sharing or remitting some sort of payment to us or whatever that is. Whatever mm-hmm. it is. Handle it, handle it in a boardroom somewhere. You know what I mean? Yep. Like you don't have That's to air do. all your dirty fucking laundry like out in the open. Now anybody who has anything to say about it, including people like him, might just come out and say it. <laughs> and that fucks you even worse. Well, the problem is, is they can't, they have no legal right to go to Travis until they put this out. So they have to put it out in courts, make it public because court rules are public. Yeah, man. And then they can go to Travis and say, look, we've de- we've done this. Now you have no Jesus choice Christ. but to do this. We we have the leg up in this boardroom. I mean, I know they've, they've done stuff before that's unpopular, but this seems like a real, like, uh, a real fuck up. Yeah. Like a real royal fuck up. This is bad. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, that's all I really got to say because we'll wait to see what the courts have to say. We'll wait to see how things are happening. But the fact that it's been now... Five-ish days since this yep. was put out. Yep. Um, and Watsi has not put out a statement saying, oh, no, those leaks are false. Don't listen to this. This was an older draft. We're sorry. No, don't listen to this. Yeah. Here is, we are, we're going to make a clear statement here. We are not doing this. We are not doing that. The fact that they haven't made that statement mm-hmm. to correct this really quickly, which they could if they just put out that statement and said, yeah, yeah. no, sorry, this is an older draft. You're listening. You're looking at an older draft. We we thought about it and we went, we talked to a bunch of people about it and said it was they stupid. Didn't do it. They didn't do it. And the fact that they haven't said that tells me this is probably a legit document that yep. was leaked and they're not knowing how to do damage control yeah, yeah, right yeah. now. <laughs> Like when the uh, when that uh, leaked Supreme Court document came out when they were going to shoot down Roe versus Wade. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Nobody in the Supreme Court was like, no, that's not actually it. And it turned out to be it. Yeah, <laughs> similar, yeah, yeah. similar situation here. Similar yeah. So it'll be an interesting meltdown to watch in slow motion. So awesome. Well, that's great news. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sure. Great yeah, news. So what the, what the hell have we been playing and watching though? Um, <laughs> well, that's my play and watch. I'm not going to uh, present any games because I'm presenting that. Next week, we'll talk about a different So game. Well, I, I haven't played The Witcher 3, which I talked about. Uh, replaying, rather. So uh, amazing game. Absolutely. If anybody hasn't played it yet, go and get a copy somewhere. on It's a, on every fucking platform in existence at this point. So and I think if you it. buy a copy now, you you get the enhanced edition for oh, free. Oh, yeah, yeah. In fact, the um, the uh, even the Switch version I got also came with the expansions. I think I got it on sale in the Switch store for like oh, 20, nice. 20 bucks. Like it's just, and it's, you're basically getting like a 200 hour long 
game oh, the first time through. Just an absurd amount of content for just very, very cheap. So just go and buy it somewhere. Just play it. Just drop what you're doing. Are you taking care of children? Drop them. Are you <laughs> putting gas in your car? Drop it. Are you, what are you, what are you doing? Just drop it. Are you at work? Go the fuck home and buy this game. Like, <laughs> no, I, no, 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 no. If you're a developer at work, use your powerful computer to go play Witcher. Yes, absolutely. Just do it right in front Just of your boss. do it. Play the enhanced edition. And when your boss comes to tell you, hey, you should be doing work, you'll be like, no, 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 man. You should be playing this. Chop game. his fucking head off. That's what you do. No, I'm just kidding. That's, uh, Use the silver sword. He's yeah. a monster. <laughs> How do you like that silver? So that's what he always says. My paycheck howls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, no, actually, another game I played, though, pretty thoroughly, actually, was uh, Crisis Core. I did the, the remake oh. of it. And uh, wow, man, fucking great. I've been so much fun. thinking of picking that up because I loved it on PSP. Yeah, it's uh, it's even better. Like it's it's smoother. It feels more like real time action now versus like you selecting the attacks and then he does the attacks. It feels more real time. I always now. described it as a Kingdom Hearts at combat. Uh, yeah, a little bit. It actually it actually felt a little bit more like a Kingdom Hearts or even like Final Fantasy VII remake to me, to me this time. Okay, so feels a lot like it. All the f- action is very very fluid, all real time, and it gets pretty addictive. And uh, and I played it all the way up until the point where I was dealing like a hundred thousand damage on each strike. Like I, I maxed everything out in it and I'm a new game plus right now, but um, very, very good final fantasy game. Very different for final fantasy as well, because this was kind of the first, this was actually pre no, sorry. This was post kingdom hearts, maybe like two. So yeah. at this oh, point, yeah. at this point, they've already experimented a little bit with the real time actiony stuff. And, uh, and basically you're going back to the world of Midgar, final fantasy seven, but pre final fantasy seven playing through the story of Zach mm-hmm. who clouds personality is entirely based on. So his persona is personality. So, you're to my understanding, to they that. changed the. For those who have played the old one, you're thinking, "Oh, I already know the story." Kind of like in the oh, Final boy. Fantasy VII, they changed yeah. things, right? They, they changed things, but by change, I'll just say this: they flesh it out. They flesh it out. Okay. They add a couple more characters. They dive deeper into Mako and what they're doing with Mako. They dive into now. Do the, they connect it to the new Final Fantasy more than the old Final Fantasy Seven? Uh, I would say going from Crisis Core directly into Final Fantasy Seven Remake would make more sense. Okay. In fact, the final scene of Crisis Core after you beat the game is a cloud jumping onto the platform from the train. Oh, okay. So okay. it literally goes like right into it. Nice. So it's it's spot on. But it answers and sets up so so much. Uh, and there's a lot of nods in it too. So if you've already played the old Final Fantasy, you want to dive back into that world. There's some really cool locales in here. You get to explore a little bit of Sector 8 up and down. You also get to explore a little bit of uh, Nibelheim. So that's in mm, there okay, as well. Yeah, yeah. And then other cool little locations too that you get to see. And then uh, some other things that are just joyous and wonderful about this game are this was the first Final Fantasy game that had like a lot of like big cutscenes in it. Like, um, sorry, right. let, let me rephrase that. Like, like current gen, high def, like yeah. fully acted, fully voiced cutscenes. I still love that scene where it's the three, I don't know what you want to call it. I know exactly three, what you're talking about. The three amigos on a cannon. <laughs> yes, it's Angel Genesis and, and, and Sephiroth on the cannon at yes. Junon, with the big giant cannon that you yeah. see in the old art. And, and they're fighting each other on this, and Sephiroth is just fucking ripping through this cannon, and there's huge chunks the, falling The cannon off. is falling apart as he tries to attack, the, uh, I think yes. it's Genesis or Angel. Genesis and him are fighting, I think yeah. Genesis, and, is it Genesis and Angel fighting Sephiroth, or... 
Well, I, I Genesis kind of challenges him. And then, yeah, yeah. yeah. AGL's not really involved in that one. But yeah, it's just so badass. So badass. Like, and it, it, so if you love Final Fantasy VII and, and, and Sephiroth in particular, does a great job of sort of fleshing out his character and also setting up the, the sort of dominoes for how he arrives at the conclusion of uh, everybody has to die and anybody with Mako's all cool. So, like, that's, that's <laughs> yeah, that, that's how you figure it out. But um, anyway, very, very cool game, man. Very cool game. I'd highly recommend it for anybody who hasn't played it. Uh, I just played it on the Switch, although I would guess it came out on everything came else. on pretty much everything yeah, else. Yeah, yeah so make sure to play it. that's crisis core i don't know if it was remake or what but just play it so very very good game so. reunion they call reunion. it crisis core yes, reunion yes and it was a wonderful reunion <laughs> a, i would say uh i would say a solid nine reunion i would say yeah, yeah. one thing i do feel i want to bring up to you real quickly as like a final closing thing mm. here we're talking about rpgs yeah i think i messaged it to you but i don't think i quite incentivize you you need to check out chained echoes which one was that? Chained Echoes is a new. It's on all, pretty much all the all the all the consoles. It's a new. I wouldn't call it a JRPG. It's just an RPG. But it's it's the closest thing to Chrono Trigger that is not Chrono Trigger. Oh oh, uh, I'm in. <laughs> it, yeah, it is. It, I wouldn't say it's as good as Chrono Trigger. I'll be really upfront. Yeah, what would be right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. good that, luck trying to get that. That's level. not really the expectation I go into games with. I'll be <laughs> honest with you. Is it as good as Chrono Trigger? I just don't know. No, nothing <laughs> is fucking as good as Chrono Trigger. Yeah, so that's it's uh, it's an eight bit or sixteen bit, uh, you know, SNES style RPG. Yep, it's got um great dialogue some people have complained about it a bit I, there's there's some you know i saw thoughts. this i saw this on the switch and i was like what is this so yeah you should oh. definitely check it out it's got there's no main character okay um it doesn't feel like they have a lot of that characters the the, the redheaded guy named glenn yeah but he is not the main character they switch characters up so often okay um and you get this sense this strong sense of um really great deep combat healing is a little underpowered so you want to buff and stuff like that yeah and they have this great me mechanic. Go to the, the, there's another picture, that one. Go to that one. So uh, it's hard to describe over text here, but there is a, in the top left, there's this thing called the overdrive bar. Um, and what happens, that overdrive bar is edited a bit, but what happens, there's like a yellow at the beginning, a green in the middle, and a red at the end. Yeah. So if you're in your yellow, your party does 100% of its normal damage, takes 100% of its normal damage, and their skills, their abilities cost 100% of the normal cost. Yeah. What happens is certain abilities build you into the green area, which is called overdrive. Yeah. When you're in there, I think everything, you do 25% more damage, take 25% less, and I think your your abilities cost 25% less abilities. Damn, points. okay. But so if you go is, into red, yeah. everything is up by like 50%. Okay. okay. So the idea is you're almost using these abilities to swing back and forth. And what happens is different like buff, like maybe this turn buff abilities lower your gauge, mm. whereas attacks increase your gauge. Okay. So you end up spending your turns, not just always doing, you know, in RPGs, what ends up happening is you find the right order of events and you just yep. stick to that order of events. Yep. You can't do that because yeah. of the overdrive bar. Yeah. You have to sort of weave and bob through combat so today, maybe you're at this moment, maybe your buffer isn't going to buff. Yeah. Maybe you'll do a different kind of a buffer, a debuff, yeah. because otherwise you'll go into the red, you'll go into overheat mode, which will fuck you for next round. Oh, that's cool as hell. Um, and your party members, so what happens is you have four party members combat at any one time. Yeah. There's always, depending on where you are in the story, there's a number of them up to another four behind them, and you swap them out freely. So at any moment, oh, let's nice. say you've got one character like, oh, he's low on health, or let's say you need an ability that lowers your overdrive oh. gauge. 
you swap out your characters, that character that you swapped in immediately gets to go. So there's no sacrifice well, that's cool. for swapping out. That's cool. But your health is highly, uh, I find, and you're healed immediately after, at the end of combat. You don't have to use potions at the end. Oh, nice. And so are your skill points. I can appreciate They're that. They're brand new every single fight. So your health and your skill points just go up and down throughout a fight. Yeah. Um, so it feels more dynamic that's cool. than older RPGs. That's cool. Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. Now I'm probably going to try it out. So that's excellent. Add it to the wish list. It's totally worth it. Yeah. So after after I finish um, after I finish Witcher three for this round, I, I am wholeheartedly committed to playing that League of Legends RPG that came out last year. Oh yeah, yeah. 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 I got that on Switch. It's been sitting there, and then after that, I got to play Cult of the Lamb finally. So Cult yeah, of I, the I, Lamb. I got the next couple games lined up. I'm pretty excited. Fair so enough. Fair enough. Trying trying to keep it fresh. Kind of trying to keep it current. So I think that's about it, though, for playing and or watching. I think that's it. So, yeah, awesome, awesome. Uh, so this is pretty exciting. Uh, we are wrapping up. Uh, this is kind of a new format for us, but this is the format we're going to be sticking with for the future. So if you want these deep dive breakdowns of special topics, come back and see us every week. Let everybody know that we're breaking them down. We're diving deep. So we, 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 we're pretty knowledgeable, I would say. I think we know some things. We've played some We've things. We've been around the block. I think we have a lot of historical knowledge with us being older gamers at this point, yes. we have a lot of historical knowledge where we can talk about the origin a lot of a lot. I mean, I'd say most of these games and shows came out while we were alive and we watched them and grew up with them. All right. So it's a lot of valued knowledge for the deep dive from beginning to end. I would say I'm basically like a pop culture expert at this point. Like yeah. I, I know a lot of shit. I know a lot of shit about pop culture and I know a lot of shit about gaming. So, so it's where I'm at on this. So anyway, uh, you can find us, the Ronin Geeks, at Ronin Geekery on Twitter. You can also find us at Ronin Geek News on the Facebook, although I post less there, mostly on Twitter nowadays is yeah. what I'm trying to focus on. Uh, so make sure to hit us up on there. Find the post where we post this episode. Let us know what you thought of it. Let us know if you, you agree, disagree, thought we should add something. That's where you'd find us is at Ronin Geekery on there. Uh, you can also DM us on there if there's a special topic you want to hear about as well. We'd be glad to consider that. Uh, also, if you could, try to listen to this show and all your favorite shows on Bitcade Podcast app. It's a great app on there, and it's also a great place for creators to monetize their bonus content in, in, in addition to Patreon or whatever else they're doing it's a great place to go to yeah. do that so you can post your bonus content for free if you are uh in fact you can get monetized for free too believe it or yes. not yes there's a policy in place where you can actually get monetized literally the day you post your first piece of bonus content you will be monetized so it's a very cool thing that we're doing with the app that you should enjoy so and then also check out uh sister show raised by spoilers movie podcast phenomenal show a lot of fun i'm a fan as well and it's not just because i've guessed it on it so <laughs> I, I listen to all the episodes in fact i think my favorite episode so far as the Dragon Ball episode. Oh my so God. Dragon of course you would like that episode. I fucking love that you guys put yourselves through that. That was so painful. It's incredible. So anyway, so much fun listening. And I love that you guys touch on a lot of cult movies. I love that. So it's a lot of cult movies, not mainstream ones necessarily. You know what I mean? These are the ones that are have gone down in history as one thing or another. Yes. And that's how it should be. So I really enjoy your detailed breakdown on those and the absolute torture you put yourselves through. I enjoy your pain. Thank you for that. I enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, this is Alex Austin signing off and... Plebby and Adam. Talk to you next week. <laughs>